So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I feel empathy for a young person that's going, what am I going to graduate into? So we're really trying to help moms and dads, teachers, coaches, employers really lead this generation well with compassion, not just saying you guys need to build some grit. Well, maybe they do, but what we really need to do is start with, gosh, this must be hard, you know, for you to go through. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's <laughs> it's not going to happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on. Did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're a visionary. I see your connection here. <laughs> Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Wow. What a, what a great day we have in store for anybody listening. Yes. Today we have some wise wizards. They dropped some serious knowledge. I have lots of notes. But really, they've been doing this kind of work of family and leaders and growing a generation of leaders and launching kids well for for decades. decades. They have been married 39 years. Hello. They have adult children. I mean, this is a couple you want to listen to. You know, Tim and Pam are awesome. Pam, when I was 19, I didn't talk about this in the actual interview, so I'm going to bring it up now. When I was 19, I had my first internship down here in Atlanta at this organization called Enjoy. John Maxwell is the founder of Enjoy. Enjoy doesn't even exist anymore, but back then. And I sat in a cubicle for the entire summer. And Pam sat literally Was she your boss? No. She sat directly across the aisle from me in another cubicle. Okay. And... We didn't work on a bunch of things together, but it was like we just sat next to each other and I learned all these things about parenting and marriage and because I would hear conversations she was having with Tim behind the seat, like, because I'm just there and you just hear it. And what an incredible person, both of them. And like taught you. Taught me so many things early on. At the age of 19. And it was funny because there was a few things in this, which I've always kind of paid attention to what they're doing and kind of on the outside, just kind of watching as their kids are growing up. And so I kind of asked some questions. I'm like, I wonder if they're going to talk about this or that. So I just kind of asked some probing questions and they went all in and very, very vulnerable conversation. Uh, Yeah. I cried that that's the level of vulnerability. Yeah. They cried. I cried. All right. So here we go. This is Tim and Pam Elmore. And I want you to look up a few things. First, he's got a book coming out that is ready for pre-order now called The Pandemic Population. And it is specifically for right now, post-COVID, with COVID, all the things, we should definitely pre-order this. I mean, I've had these conversations with you. I'm like, how is this this moment in time going to affect our kids? You're like, I don't want to talk about it. But he's bringing it up. This is true statement. (laughs) Because he stressed me out. Okay, next one that I want you to also look for. This is a free resource from them uh, at growingleaders.com called Home Chats. And this is just ways to have conversations right now with your kids in the home about the issues that are happening today. Mm. And I think what a great free resource. So look that up at growingleaders.com. And I mean, he's written so many books. So many. 
If you just look on Amazon, look up Tim Elmore, there'll be like 100 books in there. Yes. So he <laughs> is the founder of Growing Leaders. He's written numerous books. Pam is awesome. Jeff, what should we be listening for? First thing I want you to listen to is that we're going to talk about Generation Z. And Tim is an expert at research in this category. So if all of, if you have young kids, this is your group that you need to be researching and understanding about. He's going to teach us a lot of things about them. Secondly, we're going to talk a lot about anxiety and how that impacts this generation. And number three, we're going to talk about teaching our kids things that are not just timely, but timeless. I love it. Here we go. This is Tim and Pam Elmore. Actually, Tim and I are celebrating 39 years tomorrow. And um, Tim put some fun plans together. We met as high school sweethearts, but not in the same high school. We met in a a church youth group. And um, yeah, we just became good friends through that. Had a long distance relationship when he went away to school. And three and a half years later, we got married. We got married at 21 and 19. So I oh. robbed the cradle. Yes, I did. Wow, <laughs> that's young. That I know. Very we do young. not recommend it, but it worked for us. Well, because so. you're growing a lot. You're growing yeah. up a lot in your 20s. Yeah. And even figuring out who you are. And so I don't, we don't recommend it. It's not an easy thing to do. But we had, you know, nobody challenged it. Nobody questioned it. Yeah. Both sides of the family were all about it. So... And we don't regret it, but it is, it, I think it is hard yeah. and I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. 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 So explain that a little bit. You said you're growing up in your 20s. So you at, you get married and then you instantly are growing together or trying to figure out yourself in the midst of Explain what you meant by that. <laughs> well, I think you're, you're figuring out a lot about yourself, your personality, what you feel like you want to do with your life, what your dreams and goals are. And I think that's a lot in and of itself. Then you're sharing sharing all that with another life. You know, once you choose to be married, your life is no longer your own. It's shared. And so you have, you know, you've got to balance that out as well. Yeah, you're just figuring out a lot about your own self. And then you're sharing a life. You're sharing um, a life with somebody else. And you just, and you can't live selfishly at that point. Hmm. And so it's just a lot to figure out and a lot to balance out. And, you know, you hit some walls that are, you know, kind of hard. I would say the key for us at 21 and 19 was to immediately figure out what intentionality looked like because we both were pursuing Mm. our gifts and what we thought we should do with our talents. And so becoming very intentional about, okay, who's going to do what here, you know, and how are we going to complement each other? That became really vital. And of course, that's a cliche now, intentionality, but that saved us during our 20s. Hmm, that's good. That's good. You've both been working kind of your whole lives, right? It's always been kind of dual, both working. Is that right? Even with when the kids were young? There's a season there where I, I didn't work. I wasn't employed. Okay. But the majority of your lives together have been both of you all working and raising kids and all of that, right? Yeah. We have two adult children now. Bethany is 32 Jonathan's 28. Okay. Uh, we've made it. We have made uh, it. You <laughs> launched children, launched in, children. into the universe. Know. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I would say um, along the way, Pam has always worked, some for pay, some not for pay. So <laughs> she'll, I want her to get into her story because there was a wrestling match 
during the course of that time where she realized what I really need to do is be the stabilizer in our home. And you really became that. Um, and it didn't mean a lesser role. It just meant because I was traveling, she said, all right, for this season, I'm going to do this. So yeah, that was huge. Yeah. And so how did you come up with that? Or how did you kind of let go? I'm sure you have to let go of a lot of things to stay home. And then how did, and how long did that season last? Tim and I, okay, when we got married, I knew we were going to go in some, you know, our part of our journey would be very much involved in some kind of ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, I, but you know, you, you learn a lot as you go and you can't always predict where each year is going to take you. And I, I guess initially I probably thought, okay, that's fine. And we'll just be in one location. Well, as our journey continued years down the road, Tim did start to travel quite a bit. And um, then we had, we waited seven years to start our family. But when we had, when they were their youngest, and that's when I felt like I also wanted to pursue a career. And what I have enjoyed doing, what I feel like I'm good at is um, organizing. And I pursued uh, special events, event planning. Mm-hmm. And primarily I do a lot of weddings, but anyway, I really wanted to go all out with that pursuit. And at that same time, um, and faith in God plays a big part in my, in my life and a lot of my decisions. And so I, I just felt like he was saying, Pam, you got to check yourself here because you've got these young children. Tim's always gone or gone a lot you know, the kids need a, something stable in their life, a familiar face, a, a home, to, a home to, mom to come home to, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, but I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And like, but I really think you need to do this, even if it's just for a season. Now, I didn't even have that word in my head at the time, season, but that mm-hmm. is, is what it is to me. Yeah. It's very nice of him because I am doing that now. Um, what I had set out to do. Hmm. But um, at the time he, it was three months of just misery. And I think whether you're a, faith, a person of faith or not, you can go through these periods of time where you're wrestling with yourself or wrestling with an idea. And I, I was miserable. Consequently, the family remembers those three months because I wasn't fun to live with and I wasn't easy to live with. So what is that? I mean, you were miserable, like being home or you were miserable because you were in the in-between figuring out that decision? Relenting, giving up yeah. something. That's yes. what I'm miserable about. I'll tell you what, though. The minute I caved and said, uncle, I was fine. Mm-hmm. I was so fine. And I really, and I just jumped in 100% mm-hmm. mom. And God was very gracious because he knows me better than I know myself. And I fell in love with that role. Mm. Absolutely fell in love with that role. And I feel like I have the relationship now with my adult children, a relationship with them now that I might not have had, had I not given up that season. Now that's what God called me to do. I'm not saying that's what God's calling everybody to do or what everybody can do. But because my husband was gone so much, Mm -hmm. they need something very stable, especially in their younger years. And that was me. That was the role I played. And um, I just fell in love with that role. And it has really benefited my relationship with my kids. 
And I don't know what it would be otherwise. It'd probably be fine, but I don't know. Was what there was there a point um, like at the end of this time or like at a point at the end of this season where you were like, I'm done. I got to get out of this. I got to figure out how to get out of this. Or did it just kind of naturally, you know what I'm saying? For me, it pretty well, I don't remember another struggle yeah. or mm. fight. It just pretty well naturally yeah. Yeah. came back. And Tim has some foresight too. He said, you know, yeah. when the kids are all gone, you're going to want to jump back into something. And so I started, you know, in stepping school. back into yeah. this role, but, but very slowly, yeah, very slowly and just reestablishing it. Like while the kids were in high school. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, I think we came to believe that there are different stages of a ch- child's life. Mm-hmm. So at first you're much, you're a trainer. Those first few, you just kind of train, 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 train. Then you're kind of a coach, you know, that sort of thing. So I think as we moved into the coach level where they're in middle school, high school, we realized they were more independent, often didn't even want to be with mom and dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you go, okay, this is awesome. We're, we're now co- coaching. And now um, we have used the term with our adult children. We had to move from supervisor to consultant. So we're not supervising their life at 32 and 28. They don't want us to supervise their life. That would yeah. be unhealthy. But boy, being a consultant where you're on call, we love that. But we have to remind ourselves, if they're not asking, we can't be telling. You know, that sort of thing. So um, in the midst of this, people have come to you for years getting trying to get advice about parenting, about all, about all kinds of things related to kids. And we kind of are struggling with this a little bit because it's like, yeah, we're starting to write about this stuff. People are asking us to share the things we've learned as we've interviewed so many people like you. And then we were like, well, probably every piece of advice we give isn't going to work on our own kids. I'm curious, like, has there ever been these moments when you felt that tension between like um, the things you're teaching and then you're like, oh, and then I have, I think you said two kids that are, it, it didn't play out the same way that I just said. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there's one big illustration that comes to my mind. Um, so we tried to raise our children in a very healthy, well-adjusted home emotionally and, and intellectually and spiritually. But um, both of our kids, even though we raised them with two loving parents, have struggled with anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. um, like so many from the millennial generation and Gen Z. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about this, but I'm having to distinguish between anxieties and anxiety disorder two very different things. Yeah. It would be very unvalidating to say to a parent, oh yeah, um, I felt anxious before. I lost my wallet last week and got very anxious. If their child's dealing with an anxiety disorder and losing the wallet is nothing near what they need medication for. So I, I have often had to say, and I got permission from both of my kids, can I share that you're you know, taking meds for that? Oh, sure, sure. But I know I better get permission because that's not fun to be an illustration on the air or in a book that yeah, I could sever a relationship. Real fast. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a good segue into a lot of your research about Gen Z and um, just kind of, I mean, you, I think you've stated that it is the most anxious generation in modern history. I'd love, first of all, tell me what's the age of Gen Z, like the years, and then Talk a little bit about that anxiety that you're seeing. Okay, sure. So Gen Z would be the youngest population that we're measuring today. Um, The alpha generation are the youngest kids, but they're too young to to survey. 
Um, so they're the babies and toddlers, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So okay. Gen Z would be the kids that pretty much have a memory of the 21st century, no memories of the 20th century. Elementary school. Yeah. And high school. And high school. Um, okay. And maybe even early college. So if you think about it, the 80s and 90s was when the millennials were, were growing up. Uh, and it's so funny. I'll still work with athletic programs where the coach will say, the football coach will go, I'm still trying to figure out my millennial athletes. And I go, sir, the millennials are your assistant coaches right now. Yeah. You know? You're on so, to Gen Z. That's right. That's right. So they're, they're way behind. So Gen Z uh, would be a, a group of a population of kids that have grown up with anxiety disorders much more frequently, panic attacks, depression, not all, but a growing population. Um, they've seen, if they were born at the beginning of this century, this is the third economic downturn they're facing. Now, they were babies in the beginning, but they looked up at mom and dad and saw them anxious about the dot-com era bubble bursting. And then you all remember the 2008-2009 recession. And now here we are in another one. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I feel empathy for a young person that's going, what am I going to graduate into? Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to help moms and dads, teachers, coaches, employers really lead this generation well with compassion, not just saying, you guys need to build some grit. Well, maybe they do, but what we really need to do is start with, gosh, this must be hard, you know, for you to go through. So um, I recently uh, finished a book called The Pandemic Population. And one of the chapters is on what can we learn about leading Gen Z from the Great Depression kids? Yeah. My dad, my dad turns 90 this year. He grew up in the Great Depression, World War II. Well, the parents back then were very much were saying, we're expecting resilience. We're expecting resourcefulness from you. Yeah. And he said, we did it because... That's what they said we needed to be. And I thought, maybe that's what we need to do with our kids today. Okay, so that is very interesting because one of the things that resulted out of that generation was a whole generation of people that just um, stayed. They stayed yeah. in one job, in one space <laughs> for you know 20 years at Ford or wherever it was because you know, it, there, it was so fragile economy that the best thing to do is stay forever. Have have that consistency. And yeah. that consistency. But this generation is so like, I want to change the world and I want to do this and I want to, that they're all over. Well, but that's the difference between a millennial generation and a, is that fair? You would, Is that you're... what the millennials are more like? And, but the Gen Z is going to be stability or what do you think? Well, it's going to be interesting to find out what Gen Z will be like because I think it's really early. Uh, yeah. You know, really have a, a bit of data. But um, I had one employer in Atlanta recently say to me, the corporate ladder has become the corporate lily pad. So people are hopping, hopping, hopping from gig to gig. It's the gig economy. So, yeah, that would be late millennials that are saying, I've got to hop around to find that right spot. But um, in one of our surveys nationwide, this is interesting. Generation Z said, one of my greatest fears is that I'm going to have to get a job that I don't like yeah, in order just to have money. Because I, I, Yeah, because I think we as parents are telling them they can do whatever they want. They can yeah. be whoever they want to be. So the parents of these Gen Z people are saying, go do anything. But yeah. then yet yeah. they're feeling so anxious about that, right? Well, they're very disappointed and yeah. some of them are angry. Yeah. yeah. And, now, and at their parents. Yeah. Um, as they've been told these things right. and the real world is harder than what we said. They, they yeah. expected. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I'm sorry to see that. And but I do think some of them now with after COVID and some of the you know the ongoings that are current, um, I think some of them are now learning to appreciate a job. Right. <laughs> Period. Yes. <laughs> Which is definitely rather different than waiting, rather than waiting for their dream job. Which is different <laughs> than the millennial generation for sure. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. But some of those millennials, I think, right now are grateful for a job, even though yeah. it's not their what their degree was in, or even though it's not what their their dream. I think it's going to change the millennials. Yeah. So, uh, in thinking about that, I mean, I I have gotten to witness and experience some strategies you guys have in parenting, and I want to get to some of that in a minute. But before that, I'm curious, like, you know, Tim, you've researched all these different generations. And would you say whatever worked for you because you were parenting a different generation doesn't work for the next generation? Or can you, are there some things that can cross over into different population groups? Absolutely. In fact, I think the key today to any good leadership, including leading the home, is to be timely and timeless. So our methodology may need to be timely, fitting the generation that grew up on a smartphone, but there are some timeless disciplines and values that I believe work in any day. Um, And I think you would agree with that too. Discipline will always be good on a job. Honesty will always be good on a job. So I think what parents need to sift through are what are those timeless virtues that we know they're going to need and then find really timely ways to deliver it with experiences and relationships and conversations, not lectures, you know, that sort of thing. That's how I would say uh, Mm. we look at it. So what are the cheat codes? What are the cheat codes that you guys could teach us for raising good humans in our society today? Yeah, for today? launching. Like yeah. what are some what are some of those things that you would say are the most essential for launching these kids well? Wow. That's not loaded. No. <laughs> He's got about so, six books on it. So <laughs> Well, here's something quite funny. I do not claim to be a parenting expert. We I lead Growing Leaders, which is about young influencers and how we can lead a group of young leaders. But along the way, so many schools have said the parents are seconding the teaching of morals and values to us as teachers, or the parents are delegating the teaching of leadership or whatever. And so what parents used to do 40 or 50 years ago when I was a kid, now the school's being called upon to do it because both mom and dad are working. We don't have time. So here would be a couple of things I would say. uh, in the Gen Z book that, that we released, there are five pieces that seem to be pretty effective today. The first one is problems. Start developing your child by solving problems. So I always tell teachers, don't teach a curriculum, teach a problem. And if you start with a real life problem, they're going to be engaged because that's real. Some storybook problem in a math book or some hypothetical equation on a chalkboard, that's, that doesn't rivet anybody. Mm-hmm. So we need to stop. Here's what I come to believe. Students learn just in time, not just in case. Mm-hmm. And most of what we taught has been just in case. Just in case you need this algebra equation, here it is. Well, no kid, the kids are going, I'm never going to We use don't algebra. care. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You must have said that in high school. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I really believe, um, well, one of the things we did, which was fun, was we took our kids to um, soup kitchens you know, and, and safe house outreach. We went to Jamaica, Croatia, after the Bosnian uh, Serbian war where there were refugees. Bethany was five years old. So she was really young. 
but she gave away blankets and food and she gave her Barbie doll away reluctantly at a refuge camp. <laughs> reluctantly. But, was, but we, she saw, oh my gosh, here's a population that really needs our help. So anyway, we found we were able to be way more effective at teaching timeless truths when it started with a problem to solve. Okay. Um, another one would be um, ownership. Most of what we teach kids today is prescriptive in style, not descriptive in style. So you know what I mean. Um, at school, we're teaching to the test. This is not a slam on teachers, but here's what's going to be on the exam. I'm just going to give you what, what's going to be on the exam. Uh, if you look at a football coach, that high school quarterback's looking over the sideline every single play, getting a prescription from the coach. You go on Netflix, it tells you what you should watch next. You go on Amazon, here's what you should buy next. We are so prescriptive with our children that they're needing us to give answers. I'm saying, no, give them ownership. Tell them the why. And then say, how do you think we ought to solve this? So it's descriptive leadership, meaning let's describe a goal you want to reach. And then you start coming up, Jessica or Johnny, with what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And when they look at you, Fran, you say, well, I'll guide you, but I'm your guide, not your God. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's huge. Um, another one is experiential learning. We just think kids are not looking for a sage on the stage, <laughs> a talking head with a lecture. I do think they're looking for a guide on the side with an experience. So um, here's a good example. I mean, even um, your travels is that, right? I mean, that's yeah, exactly what exactly. you're... So, so both of my kids took a gap year, both of our kids, I should say. Yes, Pam was a very, very vital, vital player. In this thing. <laughs> uh, so the, the gap year was between high school and college. You guys know very much about gap years. So they both worked at Growing Leaders for, for a year. And they flew on planes with me and sold books and made calls and got chewed out by a customer. And it was all good. Oh, were they ready for university after a year of hard knocks? That sounds a little bit like my experience back in the day. I had (laughs) Chefs in the back selling books. Yeah, it does. That's when we met, I think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, But wasn't it rich? Because you you do get beat up and you go, okay, I won't come do that again. So I, I feel like some of this is probably sounds like the Great Depression or something, but I just feel like they if need we can to get beat up. Yeah, along with those tough experiences, but but yeah. the message is you can do this. You really can. Yeah, I think we've got a great batch of young adults coming up if we'll do that. That's awesome. Those are some really really good things. Oh, Pam, I've got lots of questions. Oh, but you go. I want to do a follow up on this. Uh, I knew of the. Um, kind of the reality of, you know, Tim, the influence he gained, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And in the midst of it, um, as you're raising these great kids, they start having missions of their own and work of their own and purpose of their own. I'd love to kind of hear from you guys both, but specifically Pam, like as their, as their ideas started to take some shape, I know it impacted your family. How did you guys work through some of that, the scheduling conflicts, the I don't know. Take us back a little bit in that that process. Well, one thing um, one thing that we knew we would not do is overextend them. Like they could do something extra outside of school, but they couldn't do five extra things outside of school. One, I couldn't, you know, be the taxi driver for all that. And um, but I also I think a lot of kids can get anxious and stressed if they're trying to do too many things. So I 
when they were younger, they both kind of enjoy, we, well, we tried to let them experience a few different things. Yeah. Like they tried the sports and neither one of them were really into that, but we didn't let them quit. We, you know, we said, you made a commitment here. Finish you're going to finish it. And um, you made a commitment to the team. You're going to finish it. Um, so it kind of takes a while sometimes to find something that they just love or thrive in. And um, for a period of time, they both enjoyed musical theater, actually. And so they both at the same time did. So that was a very easy one for me because I would just take them both to their classes or take them both to their rehearsals. And I actually got very involved in the organization itself at the time. So the three of us were pretty tight for those few years doing all those things together. Our son really found a niche there. He found he's very artsy and now his degree is in writing for film and he's now out in LA with his wife and looking for a job in that field. Um, before that, we kind of thought he wanted to kind of see if he might be the actor. So, you know, Tim and I talked and I didn't want to just, I didn't want to drive it. I wanted this to come from him. So we said, we knew it might kind of be out there. And I said, well, Tim, if you, or Jonathan, if you really want to do this, you come to us because you're going to have to own, own this. Yeah. But you come to us if you're serious about this. And Dad and I will talk about whether or not we can take you out to L.A. for a few months. And um, anyway, long story short, he did. He actually came to us. He said, I really want to do this. I really want to give it a shot. And other things came from that. It wasn't the acting. Other things came from that trip. We were there for seven months. It cost us something financially. It cost us time away from one another, Tim and I. But um, yeah. So one, a, so one of you... Example. Yeah, one huh? of you went out with him, right? Is that uh, how did? Uh, I went out with him. Yeah, so how Seven was that experience? Months for your kid <laughs> to try. Was I was hoping you were going to share this because I remember this hearing about this. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we went out there, and um, was Bethany in college at that point? Her, she but anyway, she was yeah. high school independent, had a car. Yeah, you know, had a job, so I didn't have to be home so much for her. But we did. We gave it a good seven months out there. Yeah. The acting didn't necessarily play out. Um, he made a decision at that time. He wanted to be behind the camera rather than in front of the camera. But that was a big revelation that might not have happened had he not gotten experience in that field. And out yeah. there in the industry. So, yeah, so yeah those were... I scheduled as many speaking events in LA as I possibly could <laughs> to my wife and my son during that period of time. Oh my goodness. Oh, Jonathan and I look back on that and that was fun. It was yeah. a fun memory. It was a fun yeah. experience and we yeah. made some friends. And so, you know, you kind of do outlandish things once in a while, but yeah. it, it benefited. It Jonathan. really did. Yeah. Yeah. I would say one other thing that, that we did that Pam and I were both a part of was when our kids entered that rite of passage year, about 13 years old, we lined up mentors for them. Um, Bethany was our firstborn, so she was the first one to hit eighth grade. And so um, I remember sitting down with her one night and explaining rite of passage, what, what it meant to move from girlhood to womanhood. And we chose six women that would be one day mentors for her that next year. Uh, women that she thought were really cool and women that Pam and I both admired as wonderful female role models, most of them working women. Uh, and Bethany spent a day with them. Whether if they went to work, she went to work with them, and actually sometimes was put to work. Um, in fact, you'll love this story. Sarah was the very first lady that Bethany got to be with for a day. Sarah is a registered nurse, 
and at the time worked in the maternity ward at the local hospital. So Bethany went as an eighth grader into the maternity ward, was helping women give birth to babies between nine and three that day. It was crazy. That's amazing. That yeah. Was, that's but amazing. It, talk about experiential learning. And of course, she really had a heart for babies too. She still does. Um, but after that, Sarah took her to a class for unwed mothers that Sarah taught for teenagers that were pregnant and probably didn't want to be. Mm. Um, and then at dinner time, Sarah's life message was handling her sexuality wisely, not just, you know, being flippant with your sexuality. Well, can you imagine how that message just sunk in that particular day of pain? <laughs> she literally <laughs> saw a woman give Yes, yes. message clear. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Those were, we, we discovered it, as you I'm sure know, by the time they reach their teenage years, the voice of the parents' influence goes down. The voice of others tends to go up. We just were leveraging other people who had great values that could echo what we knew they needed. And it would be another voice joining ours in the, in the chorus. Oh, yeah. That is amazing. Tell us what you think. I mean, you kind of talked about... Um, the pandemic book that you're coming out with, uh, what do you think that this COVID thing is going to do to our, like, what is the biggest thing you yeah. see this post-COVID experience happening for our kids? I mean, schools oh. canceled, parents and kids yeah. and are all stuck in houses together. Uh, the divorce rate post-COVID is already going up. Like, no. What what is happening? What is the biggest effect that is going to happen to our kids? You know how to ask loaded questions, don't you? Um, so, I'm just I'm just trying to gain your wisdom. Here. Well, yes. Um, well, here's what um, here's what I would say. So I did some digging on this. What's already happening? Are we seeing any signals early on? Um, and what are the chapters in the book? Is what are the positive and negative impacts of COVID nineteen? I think it could be positive and negative, or positive or negative based on how we lead them. Hmm. So already you're absolutely right. Mental health issues, you know, they already feel postponed. Now they really feel postponed. Um, those are going to be realities we need to face. Yeah. But if we lead them well, I think we're going to be a, we're going to see a springboard of entrepreneurs. Because hmm. think about it, when you've got time and yeah. you have to be creative, yeah. the Great Depression back in the 1930s sparked so many entrepreneurs. Why? They were out of work. They had to create something. They needed income. Yeah. So figure it Monopoly, out. The game of Monopoly was invented during the Great Depression. The game of Scrabble was invented during the Great Depression. It's so crazy. And I don't know that those games that we enjoy would have been invented had they gone to work in the factory. Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage moms and dads, lead with an abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. Yes. Think about what's the silver lining? What is this giving you the opportunity to do that you wouldn't have had had you gone to school, you know, done the done the class, blah, 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 soccer practice. Um, here's a great illustration of what I'm talking about. I hope this inspires everybody. So as soon as this COVID-19 thing hit, I started looking at past pandemics through history. And the Great Black Plague happened centuries ago all across Europe. It was called the Great Plague of London when it first hit London, England. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, Isaac Newton was a college student at Cambridge when that thing hit. And in their own version of social distancing, all the kids were sent, all the students were sent home. Well, instead of just vegging and wasting time during the plague, Isaac Newton stays learning. And get this, he invented calculus during the great plague of London. 
He came up with his theories on optics because he got a prism and he started looking at the prism, came up with his theories on optics. And then it was during that pandemic that he looks outside and that proverbial apple fell from the tree. Remember this story? Yeah. And he came up with this theory on gravity and, and motion. And nobody talks about it was during a pandemic. Exactly. I don't know if he would have come up with those had he been in class. That's amazing. So a year later, he goes back to school with his theories in hand. Within a second year, he's a fellow. Within two years, he's a professor at Cambridge. And I'm just saying, mom and dad, what could happen now if we really unleashed our kids and said, take advantage of this time instead of, oh, sorry, why don't you play Grand Theft Auto? you know, or something like that. That is so funny because even uh, in the last couple of weeks, I have come home uh, from working uh, to my kids and they've started this whole idea of repurposing or something. So they've got this like repurposing in their brain. And, And I feel like I leave the house nice and clean and then I have come home to like all our recycling, like all over the house, but like, repurposed in quotes there to some new thing. And I'm just like, why is there trash all over my house? And they're like, mom, mom, we're trying to do it. And, and then I just stop and I'm like, okay, like they're creative. They're trying, but I'm so. Meanwhile, Nico's creating the next monopoly. So you're like yeah. minimizing their. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, get this trash back in the, back in the recycling now. Uh, but yeah. it is true. Yeah. They, they just have time to let their little creative brains like go crazy, you know? Okay. 39 years you've been married. 39 years. That's remarkable. Congratulations. Uh, what are, what are some things that have real, that you've learned that have continuously brought you together that we could learn from? First of all, this is not a fair answer. I found the easiest person in the world to love. I mean that Pam is just the kindest, most thoughtful, um, Jeff, you've worked with her, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so I always tell her you're so easy to love. Um, so that's one so good point thing. And number I know- one, everybody listening. <laughs> so that doesn't work for us. <laughs> no, no. no, no, no. This is this. He just, he literally just did the first point. Compliment your partner. Oh, hang on. Let me as write that down. Write as that. possible. Yeah, you right. literally quickly, just did quickly it. capture that. That's it, it. It, helps. it does help. There you go. All right. Go ahead. Well, some of, I think some of our answers would be predictable, but they're worth saying out loud. We really have tried to do a weekly date, you know, as, as I mean, we're, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night's date and we've already, I've already picked out two places we want to go, one for brunch, one for dinner. Um, so, <laughs> but that's fun. And it's, I love to do that because you, it's one of your love languages is just tangible gifts. Well, we've talked a lot about how I stayed home, Tim traveled, but yeah. with all that said, we did make it a point and still do to date each other. Yeah. And I think that's been a very healthy thing for our kids to witness. They yeah. know they know we are the priorities for one another even before they are, although mm-hmm. their needs are greater yeah. for certain seasons of their life. Um, yeah. So we did always make that a priority. And the kids knew that that was a priority. Yeah. And because we want that to be a priority for them yeah. when they choose to settle down with somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah that's, that was... And that's how it works. I would say one other thing. Pam mentioned earlier how much I traveled and I, and I do travel a lot. In fact, if I look back with any regrets, one would be, I probably should have traveled less. 
I'll never forget one time, Jonathan was about 12 years old. And I said, would you let me know, buddy, if you feel like I'm traveling a little bit too much? I think a week later, he said, dad, I think you're traveling a little bit too much. And so I remember going back to the growing leaders team and saying, how can we maneuver this? Yeah. Um, And and this is funny. Remember when Bethany was like three years old, Pam and Bethany drove me down to the airport in San Diego and Bethany looked around inside the little restaurant. We got there early enough to have breakfast with you. Yeah. Bethany looked around the airport and she goes, dad, do you live here? Oh boy. (laughs) I know. Oh. There is a sign I'm traveling too much. Yes. Those kids know how to put the dagger in. Oh, and then you get yeah, out of I the know. car, you're waiting in the airport, and you're just sitting there going, What am I doing? I know. And she said it very innocently. She yeah. Said, she wasn't trying to slam me. Yeah, no, but boy, it, it was both, both of us. But here's what grew out of that. When I started growing leaders, um, I remember giving Pam veto power on the trips. Now, she really never much took advantage of it, but she knew if I needed to say, don't go, or we need you here for the school play or whatever, I'd be back. Uh, We started a hatchet committee that I learned from John Maxwell, who I worked for. Um, The hatchet committee was a committee that Pam sat on and we looked at the trips for the next month or something. And she could say, yes, yes, no, 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 yes. But that that does require one of the parents to really look forward, at least in our situation, because his calendar can get booked a year or two in advance. Yeah. I got to predict, okay, this kid, our kid's graduating or yeah, there's yeah. this event or that event. He can't miss this. And sometimes yeah. it's hard. Sometimes yeah. it's really hard, but that's usually where I would raise a flag. Yeah. Most of the time I, he could, they had free reign, but those, yeah. those are things I would raise a flag on or making sure the family vacation gets on there. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yes. Oh, Before everything else. Yeah. Before. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. One of the things that I've appreciated most about this woman is, um, I'm going to try to say this. Um, she was aware of the calling that I sensed. I know I'm trying to over-spiritualize this, but a real sense of calling to the emerging generation. Meantime, Pam and I are trying to raise an emerging generation in her own home. Yeah. And, uh, Pam worked, she, and she would say, I never want to get in the way of the calling I feel like you have. And that was how we, so I believe both of us have gifts and she's got a calling just as important as mine. I really believe that. But um, I remember she would say, I never, ever, ever want to get in the way of that. And I have been so grateful. I cannot outdo her. Well, I do think in that because yeah. I, um, and that is very true. I've always lived by that. But I do think for the, the few times that I have had to say, eh, yeah. I can't do that. He was, he didn't hesitate, yeah. but to, to pull back. <laughs> Um, so when I did raise my voice, it was her because I didn't whine about it every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. And, and when our kids were younger and he was traveling and I had a hard day with one of the kids, especially a teenager, it, sometimes he'd have to get on the phone. Yeah. We would have had him on zoom or Skype at the time, but we didn't have it. <laughs> right. And, you know, have that, you know, be that yeah. second voice to reiterate yeah. what I was saying and to back me up. One thing we learned recently that might be helpful for our listeners is both of our kids are adults now. So Bethany is telling us she's a counselor. She's a therapist. So she's, she totally gets the psychology and the human behavior of everything going on. She let us know that when I traveled, when I would get home, my time at home was, I would really try to focus on Pam and the kids immensely. And she goes, dad, you were fun then. You'd get home and you were the clown. You were the fun guy, you know, tucking us in, acting out stories at bedtime and 
you know, all this other stuff. So when I leave, her fun buddy left. She said that. And so, and then of course, Pam's the bad cop, you know, that stayed yeah. home, you know, so that wasn't good, but she's, she's maneuvered her way through it. But I just got that revelation recently that she had to navigate as a little girl. Um, my buddy, my buddy left. I don't yeah. think it would have mattered as much if the yeah. dad wasn't so special, but he was special and he was fun. So it was a buddy walking out the door. And I don't think little kids can perceive that, you know, that like, how he coming back? Be gone or yeah. is he coming back? And yeah. So we didn't, you know, God, God will make up for our mistakes, but that has been a new, can you tell, refresh yeah. reality for us. <laughs> I yeah. mean, see? And she, she shared it. She shared it recently with me. And, and of course I got emotional and she wasn't, she was dead. This is not a blame thing at all. I just am realizing as I navigate male relationships, I've got this inside. She's learned, she's been independent, pretty independent yeah. person anyway, but she's just learned that Yeah, I I love a man in my life, but I don't need a man in my life. Yeah. So we're wondering why Yeah, she's asking herself why uh, and she's reflecting on some of these things. And she's not, she, these, to, for her to share that with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it was. It wasn't in judgment at all. It was just like this yeah. is helping me understand some things yeah. that might be holding me back a little bit, and uh, so that's all good. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but it's been really a great revelation um, for me as I talk to parents <laughs> talk about. You know, it. You don't quite know what's happening in the hearts of your children. Yeah. So you just got to do what you know is your your true north. What's your moral compass inside? And stick to it because um, I think I probably did travel a bit too much. And now I'm, you know, um, trying to navigate that with her as an adult child. Yeah. Um, And I I think that's such a great, like we're doing, I think everybody is doing the best they can with what they have in front of them. And no matter what we're doing as parents or that uh, one day in some way, it's going to affect our child. And, yeah. and, and it's okay because that tension and that struggle that she's having to self-navigate is important for her, is yeah. valuable for her to go through. And so um, Isn't I, just, I just think it's always... I mean, our kids are going to be in counseling because of us. Right. And as it- long as we <laughs> accept it now, as long as I accept that reality now... When they come and say, you know, like how your daughter did, I will say, yes. Isn't, is, but isn't that the, I think that's a sign of a very healthy person, your daughter, that is going through the process of going, okay, here's how I was raised. Here's what yeah. I loved about what I, the ways I was raised. Here's the ways that I want to do something different than the way that yeah. my parents yes. are. Yeah. My greater concern is when adults don't go through that process. That means that they're actually not having self-actualization. They're not... Or going through counseling. Going through or, yeah. yeah. And the fact that she is... You already have a open enough and good enough relationship. You still do. That she's willing yeah. to have the conversation with you. Which is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I think that's a testimony to your relationship. Yeah. And I, I think one thing that has been helpful, and Tim's always been this way, hopefully I have been too, but when your adult children do share things with you, hopefully they do, it always feels safe so they can. Yeah. yeah. 
that you receive it, that you don't just get defensive, that yeah. you receive it and you both grow from it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I mean, Tim and I are growing even still, even though our kids are gone, right. we're still growing a lot. I'll tell you one thing I wasn't expecting was, and I've talked to some, I've got some friends in the same life station as myself, girlfriends, and we're talking, we've got all these adult children out on their own. And we're like, I think it's harder being parents of adult children than it ever <laughs> yeah. was yeah. of them when they're in your home, because now you're always thinking, do I say anything? Do I have permission to say anything? Mm. Do they want me to say anything? And if you say something, how do I say it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what I'm finding more than anything is, and we are proud of our kids, but I just, I don't say it as much as I used to say. Yeah. Mm. Or yeah. yeah. And um, we have adult conversations, but they have to make some of the decisions and you have to sit back and kind of watch the ball Mm-hmm. and know they're going to fall because they made that decision. Mm-hmm. Like, and so you just bite your lip and pray and yes. let them grow. Let so them grow. Here's yeah. an illustration of this, what happened just two weeks ago or three weeks ago. So when the protests began happening, and we are so glad about the good that's coming from the protest, but um, I do a blog three times a week. So I decided I'm going to do a blog on this. You know, this is a timely, relevant cultural issue. But I said, I want to send it to my daughter, Bethany, before I post it. Well, I did my blog and I felt very good about it. I had three very good insights, sent it to Bethany. (laughs) And uh, I said, Bethany, I want your feedback. You know, well, she's now thinking it through. And here's this 32-year-old talking to a 60-year-old. So Bethany was up to her house the Sunday night. And I really had to lean in and say, Bethany, I'm serious. I really want your feedback. And I was very proud of her because she goes, well, dad, it's a really good article, but I don't think we need a white male telling us how to protest right now. And I bit my lip and I said, okay, talk to me. And she was so good at tutoring me. Mm. Um, I'm going to cry again. (laughs) She was so good at tutoring me on, here's what we need. We need to hear you say, I'm ready to listen. We need to hear you say, I don't think I did it right. My generation, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, the thing I posted got so much good feedback, thanks to my daughter. They didn't need to hear me say, here's what you need to do right now. And um, so I texted my daughter. I said, Bethany, you have been my tutor. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what I hope every parent listening right now gets to experience a taste of when your kids are older. But I think it means you swallow your pride Mm -hmm. and your ego and you go, okay, what can I learn from you now that I, it's reverse mentoring is what it is. Wow. All right. That's well, a great way to wrap it up. Yeah. We are going to our last question. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? <laughs> a resounding yes. Mm. Um, is it hard? Is it work? Yes. But the rewards, just like raising kids, the hardest job in the world, but the rewards are tremendous. And um, yeah, it's a lot to juggle. Um, I would just say, communicate, communicate, communicate yeah, with your spouse. Um, mm-hmm. The fewer surprises, the okay. easier it is. Yeah. So yeah. The, the farther you can look ahead and, and yeah. plan well, the better it is. You got to be on the same page yeah. or you're going to constantly be throwing up surprises in each other's faces. Yeah. Yeah. And that never goes well. <laughs> Yeah, we bought into a couple of phrases that have guided us well. 
One is the further out you can see into the future, the better decision you make today for your family. So when you do look out, you say, okay, this is the story I want to tell years from now. So that's huge. But then um, we also bought into a phrase that our mutual friend, Andy Stanley, has said um, about um, making sure that um, you want to build a home that your kids want to come back to, you know, along the way. Um, so we, yeah, we just have tried to, tried to do that. And, and, and Andy has said, the most important thing you do in life may not be something you do, but someone you raise. And I know you all believe that too. So Pam really, I mean, we both did, but Pam really practiced that. And I think we've got two wonderful influencers, uh, primarily thanks to you. Um, and so, um, so that was big. Here's one other thought that I have that might be helpful. I feel like along the way, even though it wasn't just one date that we said, we're making this decision today, we got out of the right versus wrong battle and got into the life versus death battle. Uh, meaning good versus evil, mm-mm. life versus death, uh-huh. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. We decided what were the things that would breathe life on our kids? Let's do those. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do the wrong thing. Of course they are. They're humans just like we are. In fact, we made mistakes. But when you get out of the good versus evil and you get out of the right versus wrong wars that often take place in families where one person's right and one person's wrong, um, and you get into the life or the death. So it's one of our habitudes. I'm going to share this little habitude. Quarterbacks and referees. So if you go to a football game, you immediately see two very clear leaders on the field. One is a quarterback. He's moving the ball down the field, scoring a touchdown, handing the ball off, making sure that progress is made. The referee is calling fouls, throwing flags, making sure there's the right number of people on the field. I have found that it's easy to start raising your kids as a quarterback and you turn into a referee. By the time they meet middle, middle school and high school, foul, out of bounds. And um, I think the key is life versus death. You stay a quarterback all the way through their high school years. And you quarterback that family, you quarterback that family, you quarterback that family so that it's safe to bring stuff up that wasn't so good along the way. And they know you still want to score. Yeah. I like that about what will breathe life to our kids. That's beautiful. That's a really beautiful way to put it. Well, thank you guys. Oh, Pam, did you have something? I was just going to say, keep keep home very, very, very safe. Yeah. So that they will talk. Yeah. Um, and then one thing Andy was saying, Andy and Sarah were like, don't, you know, when they share something with you, it's a little shocking and kind of takes your breath away. Don't let it show on the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that they keep talking. Don't freak out. Yeah. yeah. Don't freak out. That was the word of you. Don't freak out. Yeah. Um, I but I, yeah, just keep it very, very safe. And I think that's always going to invite yeah. them to want to come back. Even once they're gone if home, home with mom and dad was always safe. Let's, I want to go there. Yeah, so we're hoping. So far, so good. And now it's time for the breakdown. Wow, there's a lot of things in here. I have like a lot. I mean, he's written so many books, so he's got like all these like uh, principles and points. Number and, one, number yeah. two. But, so good. So there's all those things you can you can get from. But what really stuck with you as a parent, Andre Jean? Oh, the parent factor. One of the things that really stuck with me is 
the question, what will breathe life to our kids? That to me was like stopping this right, wrong behavioral like issue, you know, dealing with behaviors versus dealing with your soul, your spirit, what brings life and what crushes the soul. That's hard to do. It's hard to switch the parenting mentality from that. Yeah, because early on, you do have to teach you right and wrong. Yeah, the younger years, you definitely do. But and then, then there somehow is a there has transition. to be this blend into like, okay. And I like, and, and I'm going to add to that. He said this thing at the end uh, the further out you see into the future, the better decisions you make for your family. And so there's a point at which it's like, it's not about whether they can just go potty in, in the toilet yet. You know, you start looking further beyond and you go, okay, what is the child I want to raise? What kind of human do I want them to be? You know, what, mm-hmm. where are we taking this family over the next 20 and 30 years? It's so hard to think that way. But when you have a longer term view, you make better short term decisions. Mm. Yeah. I, it, it's almost like starting with the end in mind. Right. Because normally when we have short term decisions, we're like, okay, what do we want them to do tonight? We want them to clean their room. It, everything becomes all about do this, do this now, do it. This is right. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. But when you have a longer view, you're like, okay, I need to stop whatever I'm doing to teach them something bigger that I'm trying to instill into their mindset. Right. Like what he was saying either about problem solving or ownership or, you know, like the bigger concepts that we're trying to teach. So if it's just clean your room, it's not really just that. It's about ownership, Mm -hmm. how we take responsibility for the things that we care for how we want things to, you know what I mean? So it's like changing the conversation. Mm-hmm. And being willing to take the time. And that's hard. That's I think sometimes that, you just freaking want them to clean the room. I think that is the thing that's the hardest. Yes. Because it, in the short run, you're like, I just, just do what I say, you know? Right. But really, it's like, is that what we really want as a bunch of kids that do what we say only? No, it needs we want to be the why. We actually want our children to be thoughtful and have reason and understanding and think about others. And, you know, like yeah. there's bigger principles we want instilled in their lives. Yeah. Um, I also, the other thing that stuck with me is near the end of the interview when they just started unpacking all these things that they're learning right now because their daughter's communicating with them. The adult child coming back and talking about that. Yeah. That was heart-wrenching. But beautiful. But beautiful. Because what I saw in them was two parents that love their kids endlessly and changing a mindset. And they're still still learning and they're okay to still be learners. And they're okay to have their kids teach them now. Beautiful concept. My gosh, I'm getting teary-eyed again. What is wrong with me today? We're just going to sit there for a second. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, I hope you love this one as much as we did. And uh, look them up again, growingleaders.com. Get that pre-order of the Pandemic Population book. And that's another episode of Love Love or Work.
Rosa was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions. 